And I, I burst into tears and I started crying and I, I apologized. I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. And I don't know who it was, but they, they handed me the tissue box and said, never ever apologize for crying at an Al-Anon meeting. Welcome to episode 26 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Ann H. and Thomas P. They use the donation basket button on our website. Thank you, Ann and Thomas, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today we're going to talk about what it was like when we first came to Al-Anon. Do you remember your first meeting? What do you remember about it? Did it click with you right away, or did it take some time? When did you realize that the program was right for you? How did that happen? We and our guests will answer these questions and more. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of our first meetings. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Swetha and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you today, Kelly? I'm great, Swetha. Thanks. Great. And next to Kelly is co-host Spencer. How are you, Spencer? I am doing really well. Thanks. Great. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Our First Meetings. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. It takes great courage to take risk and go to that first Al-Anon meeting. It isn't easy to go against old beliefs and fears and reach out to other people for strength, guidance, and support. Finding the willingness to admit that we need help can be one of the greatest challenges we face, but it can also be one of the most rewarding. When we finally realize that we are sick and tired of being sick and tired, we open a door to unlimited possibilities for change and for hope and for a happier and richer life. And that reading was from How Al-Anon Works, page 10. As I said, my name is Swetha, and let's talk about our first meetings. We asked program members about their first meetings, and some answered by email and some answered through interviews that we recorded, and we're going to read those out and play those throughout our discussion today. And our first interview is with Adrian H., where she talks about her first meeting. Um, my first meeting was actually uh, within six months ago, actually, and uh, the reason I ended up there was because my qualifier was in, was in treatment, and they suggested I go to Al-Anon, and a friend um, who was in Al-Anon also suggested that I go. And the reasons were, of course, to support our loved one's sobriety and also to learn how to take care of yourself. And I didn't really understand what quite what that meant. I was thinking, okay, I'll start eating right and exercising and taking care of myself and, and that kind of thing, and I should be good at that. You know, I'm, good, I'm great at taking care of other people, right? So... So I walked in and it was a very small meeting, uh, just one table, and I felt very weird and more than a little nervous, I guess. But uh, everyone was very friendly. And basically, they started reading the first step from the How Al-Anon Works book and passing it around. And then I started listening and started to think that maybe there was a little more to this to this program than I than I thought at first. The, the parts that uh, caught my mind really were life is unmanageable whenever we lose perspective about what is and, and is not our responsibility. We take offense at actions that have nothing to do with us. 
or we intervene where it's inappropriate and neglect our legitimate obligations to ourselves and others. And this line, our, our misplaced concern for others becomes intrusive, meddling, resented, and doomed to failure. And I thought, well, that sounds like my mom. And I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. That sounds just like me. <laughs> that was uh, the little eye-opening. And it said the preoccupation with others distracts us from our responsibilities to attend to our own physical, emotional, and spiritual health. Uh, our health and self-esteem decline. And I was, I had been very depressed. I was overweight. I was not taking care of myself at all. Then it came my turn to read. And uh, this is where I kind of lost it. It was uh, taking the first step allows a great weight to fall from our shoulders. We let go of the losing battle we have been waging. We recognize there is no point in continuing the fight. And at that very moment, I think I felt that great weight fall. It was just, I, I'm not sure that it fell off of me. It felt almost like all of that baggage suddenly fell in on me, out of me, all at the same time. And I feel like I had this sort of coping mask in place that suddenly I felt like I could take that off. There had been a lot of isolation for me. Uh, I isolated myself. You know, things are difficult to talk about with other people. Um, even close friends, sometimes they're, uh, some things are too embarrassing or too painful. And, uh, suddenly I was sitting in a room full of strangers and I, and yet I felt like I could probably talk about that stuff with them and it was okay. And I, I burst into tears and I started crying and I, I apologized. I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. And I don't know who it was, but they, they handed me the tissue box and said, never ever apologize for crying at an Al-Anon meeting. And that stuck with me ever since. And that was kind of it. I don't think I went back to that meeting, but I did start attending others and never looked back. Well, I'll tell you the thing that it really struck me in, in uh, Adrian's uh, recollection there was, was the bit about the, uh, the tissue box and, and about crying. Because I know I cried through s- several of my first meetings, and, and I always felt it was like it was a safe place for me to do that. I really liked what Adrian had to say about how she... She knew that she was really good at taking care of other people, and so it seemed logical that she should be able to take really great care of herself. <laughs> and I think we've all kind of talked about that in previous episodes, that you know, that's what a lot of us really struggle with, is that it, it seems selfish and maybe overindulging to, to do things that seem like taking care of ourselves. So that kind of struck me as humorous. I really liked where she said that all of those things reminded her of her mother, and she was like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> nope, that's me. I, I remember feeling that way, like, oh, God, my mom is just like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. We got an email um, submission from Tammy, and she says, the first time I walked through the doors of a meeting, I was mentally crawling. I was like a feeble, broken-hearted shell of a human being. My life had fallen apart. I was close to failing out of the U of M. I hadn't seen my friends in months. I was so stressed every moment of the day and night that I couldn't eat, and I didn't care about living anymore. My boyfriend, now husband, had gotten so deep into his opiate addiction that I knew I could no longer save him, not knowing I really couldn't do that anyway. And I didn't know how much I needed saving, too. My life was consumed by his lies, drug use, manipulation, and mind games. I just couldn't stand watching a man that had been a decorated athlete, high-achieving student, and loving, compassionate partner to me change so drastically and throw his life away. 
His parents took me to a meeting. It was all of our first times going. I remember listening to a man and he said, quote, even when my wife is passed out drunk and I feel hurt, angry, and alone, I remember that the woman I love is still in there. And what I am seeing and living are the symptoms of her disease. She's suffering with a disease, end quote. At that point, I burst into tears and sobbed because no matter how much I was hurting, I knew the man that I loved was locked inside this man who was addicted to painkillers, being controlled by his disease. I related to everyone in that room. I kept going for four more weeks, and I was the crier every week. As soon as I sat down, I looked for the tissues. But I hadn't truly surrendered yet, and I stopped going when his parents didn't continue to go. Honestly, I did not feel better after those meetings. I was not open to my own recovery, and I couldn't see what was in front of me. I did, however, use the slogans, and I learned the serenity prayer to get me through a lot of tough times that followed. When my main qualifier got sober eight months later and went to Dawn Farm, his primary told me that if I wanted to continue to see him while he was in treatment, I had to get a sponsor and attend Al-Anon meetings. God literally gave me an ultimatum, and I took it. I met my sponsor at the Wednesday meeting at Zion, and she got me connected to her other sponsees who were very much like me. It was a whole new experience, and it changed my life. I had found the answer to my problems, and it wasn't that I needed to change my qualifier. If you are a newcomer, keep coming back. Try several meetings, and most of all, keep an open mind. Listen to those around you and notice that many people in those rooms have something that you want, better, happier, healthier lives. Build a network of people working good programs, work the steps, get to meetings, and let go and let God. It is true what we say. It works if you work it. Thanks, Tammy. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Thanks, Tammy. <laughs> I mean, she's got some, you know, some really good advice there based on her own experience. It didn't click for her at first. Mm-hmm. She was going because her boyfriend's parents were going, and it wasn't working for her, but then she came back and figured out how to make it work for her. I loved what she said about the connecting portion of things. I mean, for me, I went to meetings a long time in the beginning and never connected with anyone. So I sat there kind of feeling alone and feeling disconnected. And um, a lot of times we refer to it as feeling like the new kid in school where everybody knows each other and you're just kind of sitting there like at the lunch table by yourself and It wasn't really motivating to keep coming back, but as soon as I started connecting with other women in the program, I wanted to go back. I wanted to see my friends. I wanted to see these people who knew my story and could relate to me. My first meeting was uh, not that long ago. Actually, my one-year anniversary is coming up in, I think, a little less than a month now. I went to my first meeting. It was the Friday meeting I talk about in our lives and recovery at the end of the podcast. I was dating someone that was going to these uh, meetings and he had heard me talk about my pa- my past and uh, he apparently kept, he mentioned recently to me that he was gently nudging me in that direction for two months, like dropping hints. And then finally one day, <laughs> but I mean, I was so, I, I didn't even, rec- I didn't recognize it. I don't have any recollection of this. I remembered him talking about recovery programs and I was like, well, he clearly needs help. <laughs> he's, he's getting it. <laughs> but I'm fine. But I'm fine. I'll support him and his need to achieve greatness, <laughs> like me. But uh, finally, one day, I was really upset about something. I, I think I was upset about a loved one coming to visit, and that person can, has a desperate need to control and can get violent sometimes. And I was talking to my boyfriend that, about 
about this for a while, and he said, you know, I've got nothing that can fix this, <laughs> but I know somewhere you can go, and you should come to this Al-Anon meeting. And I couldn't say no. <laughs> I just couldn't say no. It wasn't like, oh, I was drawn to it. I just I wanted to say no because I could think of like a million other things I'd want to do on a Friday night. <laughs> And then it came up to, I remember it came up to that point where we were supposed to leave and I was like, oh, you know what? I don't think I've walked my dog long enough, so I'm just going to go ahead and do that instead. And he looked unhappy and I could see it on his face, but then he was like, okay. And then he left. (laughs) I didn't realize he was practicing program there. (laughs) But I remember seeing his face kind of change a little and I was like, no, he can't be unhappy. I'll just go to this meeting. I'll just suffer through an hour. And I went there. (laughs) All of these, like my first meeting story is like, oh, you so needed to be here. Um, And I remember going there and thinking, wow, these people are talking about the alcoholics in their lives. I have no alcoholic in mine. I don't know what I'm doing here. And then finally someone was talking about how his son can be violent at times and that when he is, he sets a boundary and says he has to leave. And for a second, for that second, I was just like, holy crap, you can ask them to leave? What? (laughs) (laughs) You can set a boundary with family? That's crazy. And um, I don't cry very much or hardly ever at all if I can help it. (laughs) But I almost cried there. And I was immediately like my brain shut down. I was like, can't process anymore. Must not absorb anything else, right? So I don't remember anything else about my first meeting. I remember going up to someone and talking to them and uh, asking them about what it's like to be in Al-Anon. And then I remember a couple of people crowding around me and being like, hey, so this is your first meeting, huh? I noticed you raised your hand and uh, here's a phone list and here's this and here's my name and here's this person's name and you should call us and we want to be called. And I remember the phrase, if we didn't want to be called, we wouldn't be on that list. And that's the only reason I called after that I went home and I decided never go to an Al-Anon meeting again (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to I I was about to cry and I didn't want to do it I didn't I thought I can fix this on my own thank god I was I only recently moved to the place I was at at the time and I didn't have anyone to talk to or anyone that I felt comfortable with in the region and so I had this phone list that I just kind of discarded it was on my kitchen table and a week later I, I called someone and then I, well, texted. Texting is way less personal. <laughs> and I texted and I kept texting. And finally she was like, hey, you know, you should come to this women's brunch. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can't say no. <laughs> and after that, I just, um, I met a bunch of, kind of like you were saying, Kelly, I met, met a bunch of women. I really liked what they had to say. And I just kept coming back to those women's brunches and then eventually went back to the meetings. And here I am nearly a year later. I love how your codependency <laughs> God doing for me what I could not do for myself, Spencer. <laughs> um, who do we have up next? Martha S. Martha writes, Hey guys, wanted to send you in my thoughts for the podcast. I tried out Al-Anon a couple of times over the years before it really stuck. My very first meeting ever, I remember being horrified that one woman there had been coming for 15 years. I couldn't imagine wasting so much time on this. Also, I remember feeling incredibly self-conscious, terrified that I'd see someone I know there or that people there would find out that my husband was an alcoholic and judge me for it. I couldn't understand how other people there were just talking about their loved ones being alcoholics as if it was just a matter-of-fact thing without any shame or fear. I also remember feeling resentful that the situation at home had gotten so bad that I had to go talk about it with total strangers in some church. 
and didn't click with me right away. At first, what I heard was that I needed to focus on myself and my own problems, not the alcoholic. And it sounded to me like people were saying it was all my fault, not the alcoholics. And I really didn't agree with that message because I thought I was fine. He was the one with the problem, so I didn't come back. I started to suspect the program was right for me when I realized that after living with active drinking for years, I had started copying a lot of the bad behavior I was living with. After an episode of behavior on my part that I really wasn't proud of, I remembered what I'd heard at earlier meetings and started thinking that it wasn't just him, that I was messed up too, and maybe I really did need to start focusing on myself and my own problems. I came back, and my first meeting back when it stuck, I ended up at a Wednesday night meeting with a 30-minute first step talk. The woman doing the lead was talking about her alcoholic son, but even though it was a different relationship than a spouse, I really related to a lot of what she shared and what others shared. I was still leery at first, so I didn't really intend to stick around long term. I just kept hearing things I related to, so I'd come back the next week, and that kept happening until I'd been around for a while. Eventually, I just kind of forgot about or lost track of the idea that I didn't want to be really be a member of this program, and then it seemed like if I was going to stick around at meetings anyway, I might as well get a sponsor and work the steps. So here I am. Hope that helps, and keep up the good work with the podcast. Martha. I liked what Martha had to say about copying the bad behavior that she was living with and noticing that she was doing that. I actually shared in a meeting the other night about doing this recently, so I don't know what that means where I'm at in my recovery. (laughs) But I do remember that in the beginning, too. I remember, you know, trying to fix everything, and then when it didn't work, I got so resentful that I just figured I would throw back at him what he was throwing at me and see if that had an effect on the situation. (laughs) And that didn't work either. (laughs) Shockingly. (laughs) Oh, man. I really liked the part where Martha was saying that she came in there and that it seemed like they were saying it was her fault and that she was the one to blame. And I remember after coming back to the meetings for a little while, I heard people say, "It's, it's your fault. And I was... I uh, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense because everything's my fault, right? <laughs> so I like codependently was like, oh yeah, it's all my fault. But I was in a it was in a negative way. I was like, it's all my fault. So if I fix it, I can still fix it. I'm still in control because it's all my fault. <laughs> but I definitely related to that what Martha was mentioning awesome. there. <laughs> I take it to a whole other level, <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> Just goes to show that we can all come from very different places and still be in the same place at the same time. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> Progress, not perfection. Very much, so. very much so. So we also got a letter from Jess. She says, I attended my first Al-Anon meeting about nine months ago, just four days after my qualifier told me that he had a drinking problem and needed help. I thought attending Al-Anon was the supportive thing to do, not really for me, but for him. My first meeting was a Wednesday night meeting, and as I walked in, I was both overwhelmed by the very large group, but also slightly relieved to know that I wasn't alone. As the meeting went on, I heard people talk of their own recovery, and I started to think that I was in the wrong place. I knew my qualifier needed recovery to quit drinking, but I didn't see how the idea of recovery applied to me. I got hung up on that thought and absorbed very little from the rest of that meeting, but I still stuck around for the newcomer's meeting that followed. I waited patiently and nervously in the designated corner while I saw groups of people happily chatting. It felt like a big group of friends, which once again felt so overwhelming for my shy self. Then a woman about my age came over to introduce herself and say hello. 
I was so grateful that someone reached out to me as I was not ready to reach out to anyone myself. This person stuck around as the meeting facilitator and another newcomer made their way over to the corner. I remember even less from that meeting. I talked a lot about what brought me to Al-Anon, but I didn't even know where to begin with questions. Fortunately, I was encouraged to keep coming back, to try other meetings, to read the literature, and to reach out to others on the phone list. Some of those things were easier than others, but I did keep coming back. So one of the things that that I heard there that I think is important to emphasize for those of us who have been in the program for a while, and as Lynn said last week, you know, if you've been in the program for two or three weeks, you've been in the program two or three weeks longer than a newcomer, Mm -hmm. is reaching out to the person who's come to their first meeting. Because I know when I came into my first meeting, I wasn't sure I wanted to be there. I think I would have kept coming back, but a couple people did reach out to me and made me feel welcome. And as Jess said there, somebody else reaching out to her and making her feel welcome certainly made it easier for her to come back. So if you've been in the program for just a little while and somebody new comes into the meeting and you feel like you have any point of identification with them, go talk to them. I really liked what Jess said too about not really understanding why she was there initially. It sounded like she wasn't sure what to share about. She didn't know what questions to ask because she was just kind of a little bit lost but she kept coming. And I feel like that was something that really struck me as I was reading it too, is that at least for me, it wasn't the kind of thing that clicked right away either. And so there was some sort of invisible driving force that kept me coming back. I attribute that now to my higher power, but I didn't know it at the time. But but if you're out there and you're listening and you've gone to a meeting, but it didn't make sense to you and so you didn't go back, you know, I feel like it's important to know that you're not alone there and that 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 happens to a lot of us. And eventually it starts to make sense. It gets a little Mm -hmm. bit easier as time goes on and as you hear the message kind of repeatedly. So I really liked that part too, Kelly, where she was mentioning that it didn't necessarily click for her. It's interesting, actually. I noticed that sometimes when I'm facing a problem that I don't know the answer to, I'm not even sure, like she was mentioning what questions to even start with. And I just go to the meeting. I find myself right before I walk into those meetings, even though I've been going to those meetings for almost a year, right before I walk into those meetings and I feel like insecure, uncertain about something going on, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to go or kind of like that first meeting sort of sensation of crap, I'm going in there and I, I have all these problems again. But there's a little bit more faith now in, this, in the fact that there might be a solution there. Spencer, what about you? How was, how was your first meeting okay. experience? Well, I think I'm going to start out by saying that I was told by people at treatment centers that those of us who who loved alcoholics or addicts really should should check out Al-Anon, and I just didn't buy it. I didn't understand why they wanted us to go to Al-Anon. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought it was all the other person's problem, and if she would just get her act together and stop drinking, everything would be fine. And so there were... There were several years there where I knew that Al-Anon existed. I think that's pretty much all I knew about Al-Anon, and, and I just wasn't going to go. It was not my problem. That changed one day. I was again in the friends and family day at a treatment center where my loved one was a patient, and uh, I don't know what they if they said something different that day or if I just heard it differently. I heard the three C's. I didn't cause it. I couldn't control it, and I couldn't cure it. And it really, as I think Adrian said, you know, it felt like this weight fell off of me, except it really felt like it fell off of me. 
and I felt this amazing lightness. Another thing that happened that same afternoon, I picked up this little flyer, this little sheet of paper that has, I don't know, 20 questions. And I went through the 20 questions, which were about behaviors of mine. Have you ever done this? Have you ever felt this? And I answered yes to 16 or 17 out of the 20 questions. And at the bottom, it said, if you answered yes to three or more of the above questions, you really should consider going to Alana. And I thought, well, okay, maybe maybe it's not just her. <laughs> so I was driving back home from the treatment center and you know, thinking about this and thinking, well, maybe I really should. And And I knew that a friend of mine was in the other program, and he was the only person that I knew that I knew that I thought might know anything about Al-Anon. So I called him up and, and I said, do you know anything about Al-Anon? Because I, I think I want to go to a meeting. And he said, he said, well, there's a great meeting tonight. It's just around the corner from my house. And if you want, I could take you up and introduce you to some people. And again, you know, that barrier of walking into the room of the strangers of, oh my God, they're all going to like look at me and think, he's got an alcoholic in his life. Because I was definitely full of that shame uh, at that point. So having somebody to, to go with just to get me in the door was, was huge. I walked into the meeting, and it was the Wednesday night meeting that we all talk about. It was a little smaller then. It was maybe you know, 20, 25 people instead of 60 to 80 to 100 people. And I sat on the chair nearest the door so that if I needed to escape, I could. <laughs> I did see another friend come in, and, uh, and I knew her through her husband, and she looked at me, and the first words out of her mouth was, it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, we were both still in the shame, I think, at that point. I don't remember what anybody said at my first meeting. I really don't remember. I do remember crying, and I remember saying something like, oh, she's in treatment, and I hope it works this time. And at the end of the meeting, a couple people came up to me as I was trying to escape <laughs> and, uh, and said, here's our phone number call us and keep coming back. And of course I didn't call them, <laughs> but I did keep coming back. And, and I feel like, I feel like Al-Anon sort of, I knew it was something I needed to do at my first meeting. I don't know about clicked. I don't know if I really, I don't think I really got the program. I didn't really get what it was about, but what I got was that I was in pain and, and I was alone. And here was a place where I was not alone. And, and there were people in there who had been through the things that I was going through. And, you know, they were happy. And at least they seemed happy. And and they weren't, you know, frantic in fear and frustration and in despair. And so maybe I could get that. And, and you know, I kept coming back. And, and I really started working the program pretty quickly because I started, you know, hearing these things. And, and I started working the steps maybe maybe two months after I came into the program with several other people, formed a small group to, to work the steps together, got a sponsor, and never looked back. <laughs> I really liked that you started the steps straight away, Spencer, uh, um, that I could definitely relate to. I went to my first meeting, took a six-week break, and uh, came back. And then within a couple of weeks of that, I've, I found my sponsor and started working the steps pretty much pretty much immediately because of the control thing though <laughs> it's like it's all my fault so I can control it so if I just get a sponsor and figure out how to fix it I just need the formula and then I'm good to go it was 12 steps so technically I just want to put out there technically that's a formula <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting Spencer that 
when I first started coming, I wanted to see somebody that I knew. I wanted to see a familiar face. And I thought it was interesting you're, that you kind of had a different perspective on it, sort of that intimidation of seeing someone that you knew. And she sort of seemed intimidated by seeing you too with the defensive response of, it's not him. <laughs> well, at the second meeting I went to, I think it was the second meeting, a woman came in who worked at my kid's school. Oh. And that that was even more frightening to me because I didn't really know her. I had to interact with her at times. And I was just, I thought I would be totally judged, not understanding that she was there for the same reason that I was there. And then of course she wasn't going to judge me, but I didn't know that. This was my feeling that, oh my God, she's going to see me and she's going to know. And I look back on that and, you know, that was totally legitimate feeling. It was based on totally false evidence, Mm -hmm. but it was based on my fear and my shame. Which, which were really huge for me at the time. And you know, I'm, I guess I, I'm glad she wasn't at my first meeting. I don't know how, how that would have worked out. <laughs> because you know, I came out of my, my first meeting knowing that I was not alone and that I was not being judged in that room. And right. that, was, that was just like really huge for me. It's really hard. That's something that I hear from a lot of newcomers too, is that it's hard to trust the process of knowing that if you do say something in the meeting, that it will be kept private that someone in the meeting is not going to take your information and share it with the rest of the world or their next door neighbor or whatever, you know, whatever it is that we fear. It's, I feel like our trust has been broken so many times before we get to the meeting that it's, it's hard to trust that process. And now we have an email from Hillary. She writes, hello people, a vision of my first meeting or two. You'll see why later brought to you by the Kiefmeister. Oh, yeah. I hope Swetha is reading us. Yes, I am, Hillary. <laughs> so I decided to go to my first meeting after being persuaded by my therapist. I was really nervous. I think he told me that this particular meeting is a smaller-sized meeting. That's my kind of style. I'm quite introverted and find life is easier when there's a smaller amount of people involved. So I walked in the back doors and down the basement of this church, small church, and dudes, I went through the AA side. Oops. <laughs> By the way, why do they get coffee and we don't? Can we petition them to share? (laughs) By the way, every meeting is different, folks. I'm just saying I'd like coffee at my meetings. (laughs) Anyway, conscience, Hillary. I get anyway. I get I get lost almost whenever I I go to a meeting that I haven't been to before, and nobody cares which side you're on uh, when you're asking for directions. They'll know where to send you, and there isn't always a concurrent AA meeting anyway. So I don't remember a lot about what was being discussed in that meeting, but I remember the people who reached out to me. At the end of this particular meeting, we leave 10 minutes or so for the newcomer and pressing issues. One person asked me if I wanted to share anything. I was so nervous. I really didn't want to say anything, but someone asked me to, so I felt I had to oblige. By the way, if this happens to you, fear not. You don't have to oblige them. Oblige yourself if you wish, though. So I said something stupid like, hi, my name is Hillary. My therapist told me I should come here. He asked me a bunch of questions. I answered yes to many of them. And so now I'm here. Thanks. I heard a lot of "Uh uh-huh's, like people knew what I meant. That was a nice feeling. At the end of the meeting, someone came up to me and said, welcome, and gave me a hug. She also asked if I had any questions. I have never seen this person before in my life. I will never forget that. I'm quite introverted, as I said earlier. I find it very difficult to reach out to people. So when she reached out to me, as I feel people rarely do, it was like an open invitation to keep coming back. She was also at the second meeting I ever went to. 
I want to mention it because it's vastly different from my first meeting, and it's an excuse to write more. This other meeting is held in a huge church. I wasn't sure where the entrance was, so I walked around until I found a hole in the building that was larger than a window, commonly referred to as a door, and I snuck in. <laughs> I was late, so I felt like I was being sneaky. Quite quiet, large churches are creepy. Anyway, I sauntered downstairs and oops, AA again. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I actually went out back and found someone who directed me through to the right doors to the right location. When I got to this ginormous room, it was packed with people. Not great for an introvert, unless you want to hide behind all the people, which I admit I sometimes do. But hey, I'm there and that's what counts. Anyway, the girl who welcomed me at the first meeting saw me standing at the doors of this meeting and pointed to an empty chair sitting next to her. Oh, that was a relief. Welcomed again. And at the end of the meeting, they have a newcomer's area where you can ask more experienced members any questions you have. I didn't have a lot of questions, but it was nice to be able to sit and talk with someone. I went to a few of those, even if I didn't feel like I had anything to ask. It was just an informal way for me to formulate with other people what this Al-Anon thing meant for me. Oh, and I almost forgot, there's a large literature table at this meeting, and someone sent me home with a book, How Al-Anon Works. It's, well, a good book if you want to know, well, how Al-Anon works. That was very nice. And though I didn't feel like I fit in with everything I read in that book, I felt fit in. I fit in enough to feel something. I think I cried, a rarity for me. Maybe that feeling is relief and a sense of belonging and acceptance. Good stuff. So obviously what sticks out to me at these meetings is being welcomed, the feeling of acceptance and belonging. I don't always have that feeling, and sometimes I go only to get out and get away from the house. I'm a stay-at-home mom of three-and-a-half-year-old twins, so sometimes I just need to get out. I love you kids. <laughs> I don't always leave a meeting feeling like the greatest thing in the world has ever happened to me, but I often hear things that I need to hear or can relate to, even if I whine, bitch, and complain after a meeting. Deep down, I'm glad I went. It's as though I'm getting help without even really knowing it. So yeah, I hope that helps someone in some small way. I think I had to go to quite a few meetings to get comfortable with the idea of going to meetings. Sounds strange, yet understandable. But I've rarely missed my usual meeting since I started. It's just been over a year. I got a coin in my pocket. <laughs> P.S. I don't always feel like I fit in, but I do hear bits and pieces of my story all over the place. As was with the book, sometimes there's one, just that one thing. I do often hear things I need to hear, experience, strength, and hope that leads me towards a better path. I guess that's how my particular piece fits. It's me. It's good. We're all different and belong in different ways. That's what I'm thinking right now anyway. Thank you, Hillary. That was a really wonderful share. <laughs> I, I love I love the sense of humor that comes through in there. Yeah. <laughs> Something that struck me when you were reading, Swetha, is I was remembering... So when I first started coming to meetings, I really only went to one meeting. And so I think I had it in my mind that all meetings were like that. And so mm -hmm. this particular meeting, I used to ride with my husband to the meeting, and he is a proponent of the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. So he gets to the meeting at least a half hour before it starts. And so I would get to this meeting and sit quietly in my chair for the longest half hour ever, <laughs> waiting for people to show up so we could get started. But anyway, so there was a day that I tried going to a different meeting. And I had never been there before. And as she was talking about this fear that she had of not knowing where she was going in the building and just being uncomfortable about being in a church in general and then walking into the AA room and that was uncomfortable. Um, I went to this meeting and I got there a half hour early because that's what I was trained to do and there was nobody there. And so then I really started to panic. I was like, oh man, did they, did they cancel it? And they didn't 
say anything? Should I wait? Should I go? And of course I'm thinking you should go. Like the voice in my head is saying, get the hell out of here. Go, (laughs) go, go. And for some reason I stayed and waited around and about five minutes before the meeting time, I think maybe like, you know, people started rolling in, maybe like 10 or 12 people. And I remember feeling really resentful that I had showed up early for this meeting, for the meeting before the meeting, and nobody did it. And so I remember asking someone, like, why is everyone late? And this guy looked at me like, we're not late. The meeting doesn't start for another five minutes. <laughs> and so I never went back to that meeting <laughs> because I had such, I just had such a bad feeling, like this negativity sort of tied in with this fear, and it just it didn't go really very well. So luckily I tried a few other meetings in the area, and some of those sit a little better with me. So, yeah. Um, I really like the part where she says, uh, what sticks out to me at these meetings is being welcome, the feeling of acceptance and belonging. I don't always have that feeling. Mm. And uh, I definitely really relate to that. I think I kind of walk around feeling like I don't belong or I'm I'm perpetually scared I'm going to screw up and people are going to know that I don't really belong there. There could be like a gas station while I'm pumping gas. And clearly I belong there because my car is running on empty. (laughs) But that doesn't matter. All I'm thinking is Mm. I'm going to do something wrong and people are going to know. At the meetings, it's very rare that I don't feel like I belong. Once I walk in the doors, there's like, it feels almost like a tangible thing, the acceptance, the belonging, the non-judgmental nature of the meetings. Even the first meeting I walked into, I could feel it. It was just a sense in the room. I really liked that. So Kelly, you were talking about going to a different meeting, and I've gone to a a number of meetings when, when I'm traveling. And you walk in, and you're not sure where the meeting is, and and... Sometimes it's in a place where, you know, it's in a church and there's nobody else around. I remember one time I went to a meeting outside Washington, D.C., and, and I'd found it on the, on the Internet. There was a meeting, and I went there. I had to take a cab to get there. And I walked in, and there was a sign uh, directed me upstairs. And I went upstairs, and there was a bunch of guys sitting in a circle in a, in, in a room. And, and I walked in, and, well, it was not the al meeting. It was like a... <laughs> I think it was like a gay men AA meeting. Oh, no. <laughs> but, you know, they were very kind and said, no, this is not Al-Anon, and we don't really know about Al-Anon here. And then I think I found a sign that, that said, oh, the meeting was at a different time or something. So I've had that experience. Of, <laughs> actually, it wasn't there. You know, what I did was I picked up the phone and I called a friend, and we had a little meeting ourselves. But And then uh, just recently I was traveling and uh, went to a, a noon meeting at a church and I walked into the room, and at first I thought there was nobody in there. And then there was sort of a little alcove, and there was one guy there. I think he was there to set up the meeting. And I thought, well, okay, two people, we can have a meeting. And he said, well, you know, this is a noon meeting, so people get off for lunch, and sometimes they come in a little late. And, and sure enough, that's what happened, and we had a good meeting. But it, even though I've been in the program for as long as I've been in the program, I can still have these experiences like this, is, this feels like the first meeting. I've never been here before. I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. I don't know the protocol for this meeting. I don't know how it works. But I do know that it's an Al-Anon meeting, mm-hmm. um, and that I belong there. Uh, and that, that's, that's one of the differences between that and, and my actual first meeting. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that with doing some traveling and going to some foreign meetings, too, that it doesn't feel so much scary to me anymore as it does exciting. Now when I go and I'm not sure what the format is, I actually get excited about it because sometimes they do things differently than the way that we do them here. And I get excited to like bring those ideas back and share them with people here. There's always people who are kind of talking about, oh, maybe we should start a new meeting on this day and that we could 
implement some of those things that are different. But I agree with you in the beginning, anything that was out of what my expectations were was terrifying. <laughs> Bingo. I, you, I was hearing you talk just now, Kelly, about how you're excited about a new meeting. And um, if I go to a new meeting now, I'm like, Oh God, is this going to be a waste of my time? <laughs> is this gonna, am I going to go in and just knock at the right? Because I, I, there are a couple of meetings I tried when I first started going that um, just don't work for me anymore. So if I go back to those meetings, I just don't feel like I, I get what I need. So I don't go to those meetings. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I think it's a desperation on a certain level. Like, like I have one hour that I need. I need an Al-Anon meeting. And if I don't get it, something terrible is going to happen this week. I'm going to be unleashed upon the world um, without my uh, weekly dose of Al-Anon. So yeah, I get a little, I get a little jittery when I go to a new meeting. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here, but <laughs> God help the world <laughs> if this isn't what I need. I think we have another email from Melissa now. Spencer, do you want to read that one? Sure. Melissa writes, I remember my first meeting vividly. It was a Friday night at King of Kings on Packard in Ann Arbor. The day before, I had dropped my partner off at Detox, and the staff there, along with my partner herself, told me to go to a meeting. At the time, I wanted to be the best partner I could and thought sobriety could be solved with a lot of hard work on my part. What I didn't know at all is that I had to work really hard on myself and let go of whatever result was going to happen with my partner's sobriety. I headed to the meeting, and it was sparsely attended. There were maybe five people there, including me. What I remember is that the opening really spoke to me. I don't remember anything specific that stuck out to me in the opening, but I knew I felt at home. I listened to other people's stories, and they sounded a lot like mine. I remember thinking I should have been sitting in meetings a long time ago to deal with being the child of an alcoholic, and that I did need to work on things with my partner, but there were a lot of deeply seated personality traits that fit with how my family functioned growing up. I was told to go to six meetings, and for the first few weeks I went to a meeting almost every day, sometimes twice a day. I felt at home, and it was the only place I felt like I could openly talk about the crisis that I was in. I could come into a meeting and talk about how angry I was with my partner or her counselor at treatment or whomever about the circumstances I was in. It was remarkable that people started coming up to me after meetings to talk about how their circumstances were similar. I wanted to slip out of meetings as soon as they ended and was scared to engage with anyone about what was really happening. I was the master of keeping it all together, and Elanon helped dismantle that. After a while, I started to make friends in the program, and it became a lifeline for me. I knew the program was right for me almost immediately. It took me a while to figure out which meetings really spoke to me and which meetings weren't all that helpful. Because the program was being spoken all over the place, seemingly everywhere I went, it made sense to me that I needed to be working a program too. It helped me cope with myself, my relationship with my partner, my own recovery, my family, and has helped in most areas of my life. I liked that Melissa talked about the variance with which she went to meetings. She talked about in the beginning just going to a couple meetings and then at certain points she was going to multiple meetings a day. And I could relate to that. When I first started going, I didn't want to be going, so I went to the fewest number of meetings possible. And then once I got integrated and and the program started to work for me, I, I wanted that. I wanted that all the time. So I had a phase where I was going to, I think, I think maybe five meetings a week consistently. And then I changed jobs and had to travel. And so I kind of had to find a midpoint. I feel like that's been really important for me to really pay attention to 
how I'm feeling and what I'm going through and allow that to dictate the number of meetings that I'm going to. I really like the part where Melissa was saying that she would leave right after the meetings. I was all about that when I uh, came to, I would like literally come like a minute before the meeting started or a little after the meeting started and run out. <laughs> I'd like grab my chair, throw it on. Like In one of my meetings, we've put up our own chairs, but I would grab that chair and put it up and then duck out immediately. I'm like, excuse me, coming through. Got to put this chair up. It's very important. Got to go. <laughs> Um, it was really terrifying to stay after the meetings. I was afraid someone would come up at, to me after the meetings and say something, <laughs> say anything. Like if I shared during that meeting, I was especially scared that someone would come up and say, you know, you did that wrong and you don't belong here. So get out. <laughs> it's like, if they can't catch me, they can't say, don't come back. <laughs> but at some point I ended up calming down and getting a little bit more comfortable in the meetings. And then started talking to people that I noticed also ran out really quickly. <laughs> so I was like, we were walking out the door together, so I'd say something, <laughs> which I guess was higher power working there. But that's, that's how I started talking to people. And then after that, I started uh, accumulating a group of friends in the meetings. And now I, I stay for the meeting after the meeting, almost all, of, almost all of my meetings. And by the way, for the listeners that don't know what we're talking about, the meeting before the meeting is not an official meeting. People just show up and they just show up early and talk. And, um, and then we have the actual meeting. And then after the meeting's over, people just stay or hang out afterwards. And that's what that is. And I think for those of us who are introduced to this concept by our, our partner in the other program, and from what Hillary said, hey, how come AA gets coffee and we don't? Mm-hmm. Meetings that have coffee, somebody's got to show up a half an hour early or so to make the coffee. Yeah. Particularly if they're using one of those big church urn things, those, those take forever. And so I think that may be part of where that meeting before the meeting thing got going. Mm-hmm. If somebody's there making the coffee and people show up because they know there's somebody there, they can hang out. Mm-hmm. And I remember my loved one talking about the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, and how important that was. One of the meetings I went to had childcare, so I would bring the kids and they would be in childcare. And, and so that kind of limited maybe how long I could stay after. But it is, it is something that I look, I look forward to now. One thing, Hillary, I wanted to mention, if you're listening to this, there is a meeting I used to go to that has coffee, and not only coffee, but tea and hot cocoa, too. Whoa. So uh, if you want, go ahead and email us, and I'll send you details about that meeting. <laughs> Kelly, what about your first meeting? What was that like? Oh, boy. My first meeting. Well, I'm always sort of caught off guard when people talk about really distinctly remembering their first meeting or having a really good feeling about their first meeting. Like they, people came and hugged them after the meeting <laughs> or they felt this weight lifted off their shoulders or something. I, I had none of that. A part of it, I think, is I was confused about why I was there. I, it was suggested to me that I go to Al-Anon by my boyfriend at the time, by his sponsor, who felt that if I was, was going to be in a relationship with this guy, that I should probably go to Al-Anon because he was really sick, and that meant that I was sick too, so, <laughs> so that I should go. But he was sober, and he had been sober for about five years, I think, at that point, so... In my mind, knowing nothing about alcoholism and knowing nothing about Al-Anon, I thought, he's not drinking anymore, so he's fine. So I don't understand why I have to go to this thing. You know, I didn't really get it. 
I didn't raise my hand and say that I was a newcomer. So I kind of shot myself in the foot right there for that one. (laughs) So no one knew to come up to me after the meeting, you know. And also, I got the feeling that a lot of people in the meeting were talking about pain and suffering and frustration. And I had really only been dating this guy for like, I don't know, maybe two months at that time. So we hadn't got to the pain and frustration phase of the relationship yet. (laughs) We were still in the honeymoon phase. So there was just a lot of stuff about it that I couldn't relate to. I mean, I I was just lost. Nothing made sense. I couldn't pay attention. I was distracted by how much I was judging everybody in the room for all of their quirkiness. (laughs) I I just didn't get why I was there. I didn't, none of it made sense. So I actually, I kept going back, (laughs) probably out of codependence. (laughs) I think like Swayba, I I couldn't say no. I felt like he thought it was important that I go. So I, you know, I can suit up and show up when necessary. So I kept going. And that lasted about six months, and then we moved, and I felt like it just wasn't doing anything for me. I hadn't connected with anyone. I couldn't pay attention. I wasn't really hearing anything. I did remember talking to one woman who her son was going to the AA meeting, and she was really nice and friendly and seemed like a great person, but it wasn't enough to make me feel like I needed it. And then after about a couple years of some downward spiral, I got to that point where I hit my knees and then started going back because it was the only thing I could think of that I hadn't tried. And at that point, I knew that I needed to be there. You know, that first, second first meeting, (laughs) I guess, after my hiatus made way more sense. I could relate to the pain. I could understand the frustration. I wanted to kill my alcoholic. (laughs) And other people were mentioning having that feeling too. So I felt at at that point then I felt like I was in the right place. I still was not in a position to reach out and ask for help. I still was really struggling to talk to people. And I had some resentments about people who were wives or girlfriends of my husband's friends that I felt like they were supposed to reach out and make the meeting comfortable for me and they didn't. So I struggled with that a little bit too, but uh, eventually got over my hangups and and started to make some friends in the program, and and then it really took off. Then then I wanted to be there. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> that honeymoon phase bit was great. <laughs> oh man, yeah. You know, I don't think I when I came to the program, I was like hitting my knees about an alcoholic. I don't think I was desperate about a relationship about with an alcoholic at the time. But I, I kept coming back because they were saying things that I related to, even if I couldn't relate it to a relationship with an alcoholic at the time. Mm. It wasn't until I'd been coming for several months that someone said in a meeting, hey, if you heard anything that here that you relate to and you still don't know like who your qualifier is, that's okay. Just keep coming back. This is about you. At the beginning of my meetings, I used to be really scared that that was, that was the case that I wasn't I didn't belong here because I couldn't figure out who my qualifier was and now I don't have enough fingers and toes to count who my qualifiers are it's funny how they come out of the woodwork right it's like when you suddenly get like win the lottery you've got like relatives coming out of nowhere <laughs> except uh, well no maybe not a different way I don't know <laughs> 
But, um, you know, even though I wasn't desperate about my relationships with my alcoholics, as I kept coming back to the program and dealing with the issues that I realized that I created, as things have cropped up in my relationships with the alcoholics in my life, I haven't had to hit my knees. I've had somewhere to go and other choices to make that sometimes I don't make, (laughs) but that's okay because I know there's another way now. That was really good about the meetings. And yeah, even if I was in honeymoon phases with um, my alcoholic friends or what have you, once that got to the point of pain, there was, there didn't need to be suffering. Mm. You know, I wonder how it would have been if I had come to Al-Anon when it was first suggested to me, if I would have been ready for it. Because I've heard from, uh, you know, any number of people, I came and I wasn't really ready for it and it didn't really cook with me. And then something happened and all of a sudden it made sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, that's sort of your, your story. And, and I bet there some of you out there listening that might have that same story. And mm-hmm. So keep coming back. I think now we have a interview recording with Sunshine. Hi, this is Kelly, and I'm here today with Sunshine, and we're talking about her first meeting. I definitely remember my first meeting. It was almost four years ago, and I walked into the meeting because I was referred by the treatment center that my husband was in at that time, and... I went not really knowing what to expect other than I wanted to fix my husband and I wanted to make it all better. So I walked into the meeting. There were two other people there. And when it started, it just ended up to be us three. Wow. And I was very hesitant, but I was, I was like, I'm an emotional person. So I was like ready to like tell my story and I wanted him to fix it. You know, just (laughs) was there and I was like, come on, let's go. And I remember I was just at that point, like in a whirlwind, my my whole life was spinning out of control, it felt like, and it kind of was, and I was there for answers. So whatever the treatment team suggested, recommended, I was doing, and I was doing 110%. Like I was going to do whatever, <laughs> right? whatever it took to fix them. And they opened the meeting, the other person spoke, and then I spoke, and it was just, I remember just crying and just telling my whole entire story about my husband at the time who was in treatment um, facility and was struggling and, you know, I just wanted him to get better. And, um, I remember looking up and like, okay, now I told my story, like what I call emotional vomit, like all over them, you know, like I was like, all right, now fix it. You know, now what do I need to do? And they just sat real silently and looked at me and I, and I felt like their jaws like dropped and they were just staring at me. And I was like, just tell me what to do, you know? (laughs) And, but they didn't, they were, you know, they read a couple more passages out of something. I don't know what from something. And one of the things that I got from that was the detachment with love concept. And, and they were talking something of what I heard at least at the time was, you can love your husband, but you don't have to sit and argue and, and get wrapped up into the, the heated arguments that, that, that occur specifically. That's what I heard. Now, I don't even know what the heck the, you know, like what it said, but that's what I heard was like, oh, I don't have to argue with them, really? So I didn't really know what to expect from the meeting, but I felt much better. I briefly remember the other one, the one other person in the meeting talking about her experience with her husband and, um, and then another lady with her child. So it, it felt pretty comfortable to know that there was some diversity there and 
um, they were very, very caring and loving and very huggy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I just kind of felt like it was a place that I could actually talk where prior to that, my, my husband's work had told me, you know, it's not okay to tell people, um, you really need to keep this oh. to, you know, here and in the treatment facility. And so I was really kind of not pressured, but I think they were just trying to, they, they didn't know what the heck to do with him. And he was, they were trying the best that they could at the time. But so I felt a lot of pressure not to talk. So when the treatment team told me, okay, you know, I want you to go to this meeting. And I was like, all right, that's my chance to talk and like <laughs> find find out what to do. So I left and I didn't, I don't know. It was just really weird. Like I felt better, but I didn't know why I felt better. Okay. I mean, I it sounds like yeah. you were comfortable with the environment, but were you frustrated that you didn't get the answers that maybe you were hoping to get going into it? Kind of, but I felt like that, that little nugget of like detached with love I got. So I was like, okay, so maybe this is, this is the key. And, but I, I banked way too much on that, way too much on it. So I thought, okay, if I don't argue with him when he is drunk or high, then it will fix everything. And, and so that's perfect. When he came home, I would get in these really heated debates with him. And then I would remember what that first meeting said about like, you know, you you can walk away and you can just say, I love you and, um, be compassionate about where he's at, but take care of yourself. You know, I I kept doing it, but I thought was that if I did this, it would be, it would fix him. And it didn't, it got worse. It got really, really bad the first three weeks after I started Al-Anon and then became physical. So I was really kind of pissed off about the concept of like, of like this detachment love because I didn't realize that it's not with a specific outcome. Like I was thinking detach, this is going to work. It's going to fix them versus detach and take care of myself. I was angry with the program because I was thinking, well, this is what you told me to do. And this is not what happened. But I also got other, as I kept going, I, wasn't really fully understanding the program, but I felt like I started to very, very slowly turn the focus away from him and keep the focus on me and what I needed and how to keep myself safe and how, I don't know, how not to be mad. That's a fine line. I mean, mad at him per se um, and understand that alcohol and addiction is a disease. So... I, you know, I just understanding his struggles too. And because I took it very personal. So I was only in a community of Al-Anon for about a month and a half, maybe a month, and then moved to another community, um, and went to different meetings. And I remember the first day I walked into the meeting, um, a gentleman walked up to me and after I, you know, was like just spouting off my story and kind of emotionally vomiting all over (laughs) about what was going on and how to fix him still. The focus was so much on him. He came up to me and he said, you know, there's, there's a couple people in the program that, you know, you might want to talk to. And he was like, just took this other girl's hand in my hand and she was, he was like, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. I think maybe you might want to talk, you know? And he's like, well, maybe not. You know, he just, it was so funny. And I was like, okay. And after this girl and I started talking, it, it was, it was very clear, really, really early on. Like we shared a lot of similarities and, okay. and what we were going through exactly at that moment. And, um, 
one of the things I was struggling with was more trauma, um, watching my husband like die in my arms and come back to life several times and having seizures and overdosing. And it was very, very, very traumatic and feeling very guilty for the thoughts I had. Yeah, the thoughts I had about sometimes wishing that he just, it wouldn't, he wouldn't have pulled through. Um, and so talking to somebody else about, um, you know, how they've gone through that and their experience and, and other people's too. So, you know, so it was just really helpful to hear other people's experience and, and know that I wasn't alone. Sure. I have got a family full of addicts and alcoholics and was raised all around it. And, um, for many years, I just push people away. Um, that was the only way I knew how, and now I've learned an, another way. And I learned that I can have those people in my life and have healthy boundaries. And, you know, it's so hard to explain, but I would just, I would say, do it, you know, just do it <laughs> because the, the people I've found in the programs are so passionate and so loving. And I have true friends and, you know, our stories can put, be completely different, but yet we, we understand each other and, and I don't, you know, just being in a place where I belong. And also, I mean, just the whole program and the steps and um, it's a whole way of life. It's a new way of life and it's a, a beautiful way of life. And I'm so much more happier. So I forever feel indebted or grateful to Alan on program and, and don't ever plan on leaving because of it. Yeah. So I'm just looking forward to continue growing and, and loving myself and, and moving on my journey. Thank you so much for your time today, Sunshine. Appreciate it. I heard from several of the people the importance of connecting with individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, going to meetings is one thing, and going to meetings helps. But a lot of, I think a lot of healing comes from our individual connections with other individuals Mm -hmm. uh, where we have something in common or we have some connection. And so I've heard heard it say many times, identify, don't compare. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I find myself comparing myself to somebody else and finding our points of difference, that sets me apart. And Mm -hmm. when I find myself saying, well, this, this is the same, the same feeling, it's not the same relationship, it's not the same, but same feeling or same experience, then I can connect. And it's that connection that really helps me to heal. I really agree with that, Spencer. I think until I, I, I'm, someone told me at one of, I don't remember which meeting or who told me this, but they said that for them, the meetings are 10% of the recovery and 90% is working the steps, working with a sponsor, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting and hanging out with people in the fellowship. I don't know if that I agree with the proportions. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to (laughs) modify those because I'm all about that, but (laughs) But uh, I, I definitely agree that the majority of my recovery comes from those things and identifying with I, my recovery didn't really get kickstarted until I was able to identify with people, able to reach out to people and things like that. And actually, on that note, I did want to mention to the people listening out there, I know this is terrifying and obviously you don't have this is just a suggestion. <laughs> no one, most people at an Al-Anon meeting, there we go. Most people at an Al-Anon meeting are probably not going to be like, why are you talking to me right now? If you come up to them after a meeting, <laughs> I didn't know that in the beginning. Cause I, I just thought, I mean, I associated everything with high school and you mm-hmm. know, like somebody will say, why are you talking to me <laughs> in high school? Most likely. But at an Al-Anon meeting, if you go up to someone and say, I need to talk, most likely they're not going to say, well, tough shit. <laughs> 
Or maybe you walk up and say, I really liked what you had to say tonight. Yeah. Yeah. A really basic one that I use is just, hi, my name's Swetha. Yeah, it works too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Keep it simple. Keep it simple. <laughs> I mean, the people are really nice is the point. They're all there. They've all been in pain. They're all, even if it's not the exact same situation I've been in, I know that they all can relate and they're coming at me with compassion and understanding and not judgment, which is not something that I was used to and not something I believed that could actually happen outside of Disney movies. But it's there. <laughs> it exists. And it's it's a leap of faith, but it's one that won't leave you hanging. So I just wanted to say that about sunshine sh- Sunshine's share. Whoa, that was really hard to say. <laughs> I, I kind of caught the same idea as you guys. Uh, I think that was a common thread in a lot of the readings. And also that several of them mentioned that a third party introduced them to someone else. Mm. And... I really try to do that with um, my my sponsees, especially when they're new, because I just remember how terrifying it was. I mean, and I was coming from a perspective of where my alcoholic was saying, it's really important that you connect with people. You have to talk to people. Like, you have to introduce yourself to people. And that was terrifying. Like, I, I don't know who any of these people are. They're, they're all crazy. And <laughs> I don't want to talk to them. You know, it was, it was really scary. So that was something that was done for me when I first met the first person in the program that I really connected with. She introduced me to a bunch of other people. And I, I try to do that. So if you are not new to a meeting, if you've been going to meetings for a while and you see a newcomer, I feel like I hear from people all the time that that's really helpful. If mm-hmm. someone just introduces them to someone else around the same age or someone with the same qualifier or a similar situation or just someone that they can relate to, it really helps just kind of bridge that gap. And I feel like after you know that one person, then it's so much easier to, to introduce yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. Something else that I also thought was kind of funny from when Sunshine was talking was that she talked about how at one meeting, everybody was really huggy. <laughs> and I remember being totally turned off by that in the beginning. And she talked about how kind of her MO was to push people away. And I was the same way. I did not want you to hug me. I did not want to be that close to you. Like that was not something that I really grew up with. And it was a really foreign feeling. I didn't hug anyone unless I knew them really, really well and had known them for a long time. And so that freaked me out. I did not want some random stranger coming up and giving me a hug by any means. But now I hug everyone that I know in meetings. And so I guess I'm that creepy person. (laughs) I don't know what I wanted to say about that, but I just wanted to point it out that, that I did at one point think that it was really weird and I'm okay with it now that I'm kind of over that, you know, I don't know if it's a defect or or an issue that I had, but, um, but if you're if you're weird about that, I feel like it's okay. If you see someone coming at you with these open <laughs> arms, you know, it's okay to say like I don't want to be hugged, but I can shake your hand or <laughs> my name is or you know, like so that they don't cross that boundary for mm-hmm. you that takes you to a point where you feel like you don't want to go back to the meeting. You know, like it's yeah. okay to to say something without having to like eliminate that meeting totally. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I used to think that uh, Emotion for me in the past before the meetings, it was more like a, not like, hey, I I care about you, so I'm hugging you. It's more like this is a way to emotionally manipulate, you know, Mm -hmm. like 
if you're getting hugs and kisses and affection, it means you're doing a good job. And if you don't, you're doing a bad job. Mm. So when people were coming at me with hugs, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> we're not starting this cycle all over again. I don't even know you people. We're not doing this right now. <laughs> but um, I didn't, that's, I just, it wasn't in my repertoire to think they're just hugging me because they care about me. Mm. And it was coming from a good place. Actually, that reminds me of the detachment thing that Sunshine was talking about. I thought it said on there that one of the things that it says in the newcomer's packet at the meeting that I went to for my first meeting was um, detachment is neither kind nor unkind. And I don't know anything else about that brochure, even though I have it with me at all times. <laughs> I just read that first line. I'm good to go. <laughs> um, and when I first read that, I was like, that's not true. <laughs> but I think the thing is I was... I didn't know what detachment was. I knew what uh, the silent treatment was. I knew what emotional abuse was. Mm. And I knew that I knew detachment in in that context. And so I thought detachment is neither kind nor unkind. Huh. Okay. So they're clearly wrong. (laughs) This is a whole program must be wrong. Um, Black and white thinking. But as I came back, um, I learned, I I actually really love that phrase now. And I remind myself of that a lot. Another thing Sunshine said that really jumped out at me is that that I heard. I think we guys we talked about this at another podcast where they don't. You can uh, people ask, "What do we do now?" Like they'll say what their story is and then say, "What do I do?" And even now, I think when I call people, I sometimes uh, slip into that whole, "Tell me what to do. Just tell me, and I'll be done. It'll be fine." Um, And it's really, uh, I really hated it at the beginning when my sponsor, the people that I called were like, well, we're not going to tell you what to do. Um, and I thought this is so inefficient. (laughs) If you would just tell me, I'd just do it and it would be done. And that would save me like three hours of self search, soul seeking nonsense. If you just tell me where the soul is, I could just find it and it'd be fine. It would be done. But the fact that people let me find my own way, um, was, that was the that was the recovery. The recovery isn't fixing the situation. The recovery is finding, for me, finding my own way to get there. And yeah, mm. yeah. What about you, Spencer? Um, I think you guys said a lot of good stuff, and I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After a short break, we'll be back with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. And next, we're going to play Lifehouse singing uh, first time. This is. One of my favorite bands. <laughs> In the song, there are some lyrics that say, we've, uh, we're both looking for something we've been afraid to find. It's easier to be broken. It's easier to hide. I can definitely relate to that. Like I was saying earlier in the podcast, when I am quote unquote broken and seeking a solution or trying to control a situation and I'm sitting in my car thinking I could just, I could just drive to Wendy's and like eat a drink of frosty and not have to think about all of this. <laughs> it's, it is easier to be broken and hide. And, um, and this, so this song really hit home for me about first meetings.
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Uh, Spencer, do you want to start us off? Sure. So the, the meeting that really stands out in my week was the Friday night meeting. Uh, it was a fifth Friday, and this particular meeting has a rotating format, and we don't get a whole lot of fifth Fridays, uh, but the, the topic for the fifth Friday is where am I in my program? So it's sort of a topic without a topic. People can talk about whatever they feel they need to talk about at the moment about what's going on in their recovery program. There was just an amazing amount of, of good sharing going on there, and, and it almost sort of turned into a, a confessional at, at some points where people are like, well... I'm I'm doing this thing and and I, and I need I just need to say it out loud because then I feel like maybe you'll hold me accountable for for uh, you know and and I had one of those certainly and and that was that was how I felt about it but it just it was a, a lot of connection and a lot of positive sharing going on in that meeting the other thing that I wanted to talk about this morning at at church we bridged our seniors which is you know they get honored and. The minister tells them, okay, you, you are no longer children in the eyes of the congregation. You are now young adults, and, and you know, you're on the other side of that bridge, and now you get to sing all the children off to their classes, and you stay here. And I have worked with most of these youth for their entire time that they were in high school. And so it was very emotional for me. Since I'm no longer directly working with the youth, I was not one of the adults who was up up at the front, sort of bridging them across, and I felt a little, a little left out. I mean, I understood. I'm not, you know, I'm not there now. And there was a point where where they they asked, you know, everybody who had had some part in in raising these youth in the church to stand up, and I got to stand up for that, and that was cool. And we all clapped at, e- at ourselves at each other. <laughs> And then after the whole ceremony part, the youth were walking back to their chairs, and I was sitting in the front because I always sit in the front. And as they were walking past me, one of them sort of opened her arms, an invitation for a hug, and I stood up, and and she came up and hugged me. And then and eventually, like, everybody just sort of big group hug, and I just felt so, so honored Mm. and actually felt like I got the better because it was their choice. It wasn't just because I was standing up there with all the adults that, Mm -hmm. that, and that would not have happened without the changes that I found in my life through this program and the, the skills of listening without judgment, Mm -hmm. because I believe so many teens in particular do not connect with adults because they feel that adults are going to judge them. And I really try not to, um, and I try even harder not to let it show when I do. And, and I think that, that that comes through as an honest connection, and, uh, and, I, and I would not be able to do that without this program. Well, that's really powerful, Spencer. Uh, what about you, Kelly? It's a tough act to follow, Spencer. <laughs> um, so I went to the Wednesday night meeting, and uh, there were definitely some really great shares there. But the thing that stuck out to me the most was that um, a woman that I know on the program who has kind of been MIA for a while came back to her first meeting in a long time. And we spent probably about a half hour, 40 minutes talking after the meeting, just kind of catching up and talking about some things that are going on in her life. And it was really great to be able to reconnect with her um, I know 
you know, sometimes kind of like we talked about, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to feel new again. And sometimes after you take that hiatus, even though you know that people are friendly in the program, it's tough to walk back in and, you know, feel okay about maybe the time that you took off or about what's happened with the people who still kept going and how different they are since, since you were there last. And so I know it was, you know, it was a tough decision for her, but I'm really glad that she made it and um, hopefully be able to see her again soon. Um, I also went to the same meeting Friday night as Spencer and it was a really, really great meeting. There was a lot of honest sharings about getting honest about staying in our hula hoop about it was kind of a little bit of everybody calling themselves out on things that they knew they needed to be doing without it being shameful you know it was really just this is what I know I want to work on and I'm okay getting there whenever I get there so it was great it was definitely what I needed to hear uh Saturday night I usually go to the St. Joe's open talk I skipped that this week because I went to see a um, small theater group performing The Sound of Music with my sister and my nieces. So that was a really nice substitution for a meeting. So <laughs> that's my week. I went to the same two meetings. So you guys are going to hear just a third round of this. Um, I, I like on the Wednesday meeting, I, there was a share by a person that was talking about this really great story. about. Um, to me, it was like a, this too shall pass. Uh, share. He's talking about one time when he went camping and he opened his sleeping bag because he got really hot and a rattlesnake crawled into his sleeping bag and right. he was asleep, <laughs> right? He But then he woke up and realized there was a rattlesnake in his sleeping bag. He realized he had to just hold very still and that um, I really liked it. I mean, at that time I would have just, I got, even now I think I would have been like, God, why is this happening to me? <laughs> also, I have this deep and profound phobia of snakes. Um, I avoid them entirely in pet stores like i walk around the snake section just to, it's like really inefficient also but i hate snakes um but anyway i would have wondered why <laughs> why the universe has sent me a rattlesnake inefficient it, it is very it's a very roundabout way <laughs> to get to the dog food anyway <laughs> it saves my sanity though so i feel like that's progress that i'm able to be <laughs> in a place where i can do this inefficient thing um and uh, he said, he was able to say, you know, it was my uh, choice to open the sleeping bag. If I hadn't done that, the rattlesnake wouldn't have been able to come in. Um, and that he knew that this too should pa- would pass. He just needed to hold still and wait till the rattlesnake left. Um, and he was relating that to a situation in his life. And uh, yeah, that's what I got from that is this too shall pass and taking responsibility for your part in it, even if you have a profound phobia of the scariest creatures in the universe. And the Friday meeting was really good, too, like where we are in the program. And um, it was really nice, actually, uh, hearing other people share that made me stop and think about where I was in my program. I, it's, it's so interesting the step, basic, I, that I feel like I'm always at the basics. And um, recently I had like this period where I was just, I'd gotten off program. And, I, and this is why, by the way, if you guys don't, I know this was the sponsorship episode was last week, but... Um, just to reiterate, if you don't have a sponsor, sponsors are awesome. Um, I ended up calling my sponsor, emailing my sponsor, I think, and telling her um, all the stuff I'd been doing. And um, she having a sponsor was really great because she's she knows where I've been program-wise, what's all been happening in my life, and was able to say pretty quickly, you know, hey, it sounds like you're not 
um, really focusing on the prayer portion of your program. Maybe you want to try that and, you know, sent me some prayers. It was really great to, to have that interaction and it's gotten me back on program and I'm not perfect at the praying thing yet, but it's getting there, progress, not perfection there too. That was my week. Our topic next week will be anonymity. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about anonymity. Kelly, how can people send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com, And we would love to hear from you. Please share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of our first meetings or next week's topic of anonymity. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know that too. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Hey, our website. That's, that's where. That's therecoveryshow.com. And there's all the information about the show is right there on the website, including notes from each episode and a blog with uh, pretty much daily meditations. Thank you, Swetha. <laughs> Links to some of the music we play. And there's a page to which we periodically and haven't recently post recordings of Ellen <laughs> on Open Talk speakers speaking of confession and need to fix. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. And another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave comments on the, on the show notes or on the blog entries. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. We got some, uh, some email from listeners and an email from Charlotte. And uh, Kelly, you want to read that? Sure. It says, Dear Recovery Show, listening to Sunshine talk about her relationship with her mother in the blame episode brought me to tears. I came into the program to receive insight on my brother's addiction, and as I've grown in Al-Anon, I've realized that both my mother and father have some bad habits when it comes to alcohol. I recently found a diary entry from when I was 12 years old where my mother accused me and my brother of being the reasons that my father left her. To this, I said, that daddy didn't leave us, he left you. You're just sad because you feel alone and you need someone to blame. Although I told her she was wrong and that my father didn't leave me, I know that the things she said in her sickness deeply affected the way I see myself and others. I don't harbor any resentments toward her and know that she was doing the best she could, as we all are. Thank you for your courage and bravery when sharing on the show. I listen religiously and find strength in your wisdom. Best, Charlotte. Thank you, Charlotte. And Anne H. also sent us an email. Uh, can you read that, Swetha? Sure. Uh, Anne H. writes... I just recently discovered your podcasts, and I'm ecstatic about the site. Downloading the episodes, I quickly recognize that I have 5 a.m. friends. With only six episodes listened to so far, I already feel a kindred spirit and trust in the presenters. I really enjoy the format with the musical selections actually explained and the lyrics spoken, because in the artist's expression of them, I can rarely discern them. What a great idea this whole concept is. Then I went on to the site and, as stated, there are a lot of links. Just what I need. Plenty to explore and satisfy. Thank you so much. In gratitude, Anne H. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we'd like to thank uh, Rick and Jillian for a couple of five-star reviews on iTunes. And if you can leave a review, we'd certainly appreciate it because um, it helps make the podcast easier to find for those in need. 
And we have one from Rick who says, I love this show. Its tone is upbeat with a good sense of Al-Anon valuable humor and packed with good program. Al-Anon approved literature. The pace is great with segments and great discussion. The style is so casual and friendly. I feel like I'm at a great meeting every episode. I'm living in Ukraine where there are no meetings, but plenty of problem drinkers. This resource is a lifesaver. And Jillian uh, also left us a review. I'm new to Al-Anon and find the show to be a great help for support in between meetings. Spencer, Swetha, and Kelly and the guest hosts provide insightful and relevant discussions every time. I also enjoy the musical breaks, hearing about their meetings, and the daily meditations. Awesome podcast. And you know what? This is our 26th episode, so this is sort of a milestone for us because that means we've been doing this for six months, which really blows me away. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. But it also seems like it's really part of my life now, and I've sort of, you know, sort of like been doing it forever, even though I know I haven't. <laughs> it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have some expenses, and they run about thirty dollars a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation basket button on the website where you can support us directly. We've also put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. And if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we'll receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for the support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. Uh, Spencer, if I could actually yeah. add something. Yeah. I heard a lot of people, or read a lot of people uh, thanking us for daily meditations. And... I, we also really appreciate song suggestions. And if you guys want to send in a daily meditation or even a quote that really speaks to you, uh, we're more than happy to post it. And that was it. I would Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Community contributions are, are definitely welcome. Thank you for yep. that, Zoetha. We're going to close the show with a song, Seeing for the First Time, by Britt Nicole. And, you know, I hadn't heard this song. Um, I went to Spotify, which I love, by the way. And I did a search for songs that had first time in the title. And this one came up, and I listened to it, and um, I really liked it. It's about you know discovering something for the first time and, and realizing that it's important. And there's a, I think this might be the chorus. It's like I'm seeing for the first time, like you opened your eyes to show me everything I've missed before, and I want more. And, you know, I know that's how... I felt, and I think some of our um, some of our interviews uh, described the same feeling that they came into uh, Al-Anon and their eyes were opened to to some a new way or a way of recovery that that they hadn't known existed. listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems are there are those among us who have had them too 
If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so that we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 